This is Dave, and I'm with Dave. Dave, say something smart. I was doing the, the riff. Smart. Dude. It's the Padawoo Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I was doing the intro riff. I was the Padawoo Podcast. What? What? What's up? All right. I'm your host of the Padawoo Podcast, Eric Antonson, and today we have the most special podcast I have yet to have the privilege to be a part of. For the last week down in Costa Rica, I have had three legends, legends of our sport. You know who they are. They've all three been on the show before, but this podcast is special because they were here. We were working on a project, an upcoming film, probably see it in a magazine as well. With me today on the show, on the Padawoo podcast, the guests are David Kalama, David Bainey, and Colin McPhillips. Uh, if you don't know who those guys are, you should. I would be very surprised if very many people listening to this show did not know who they are. Uh, and if you like the show, if you haven't heard of them or know of them before, you should go back and listen to the other episodes. Colin McPhillips is episode two, I believe, and then Kalama and Bainey have been on more recent shows. But if you go to paddlewoo.com and click on the podcast link, you can look at all, almost 30 now, shows that we have done. So thank you guys for tuning in. I'm very excited to bring this show to you. Before we dive into the meat of this show, let me uh, jump into a couple different things here. Remember that you can get a 20% off 27 North Paddles by using the promo code PADDLEWOO. They are my paddle of choice. I like the Kevlar paddle. Bounce back and forth between that and the Carbon and Negra. Carbon and Negra has a little bit more flex. If I'm feeling it at the end of a long week of surfing every day, maybe I'll bounce over to that. It's a little easier on the joints. Otherwise, I love the car, uh, the uh, Kevlar. That is great. Um, and some cool news. I have. I can now talk about this, which is really neat because they mentioned it on their show. But I have had the privilege to coach some people that I've looked up to for a long time over the last few months, uh, them being Tim Ferriss and Josh Waitzkin. Tim Ferriss of the 4-Hour Workweek book. Josh Waitzkin uh, wrote The Art of Learning and the movie Searching for Bobby Fischer was written about his early years. And Tim has the Tim Ferriss Show podcast, which is generally one of the top five in the world, at times the most listened to podcast I believe in the world. Uh, and on their latest episode, Tim interviews Josh for the second time. And they discuss surfing down here in the blue zone and learning the sport of paddle surfing. Uh, and so that was really neat to, to be featured on that show. And I thank both those guys, both legends. Uh, this is kind of a legend theme show here. But thank you guys for, for giving the shout out. Um, really appreciate it. So you can check that out at the four hour at four hour workweek dot com or just Google Tim Ferriss F E R R I S S, uh, and from there you can find the Josh Waitzkin um, episode. And if you haven't read the Art of Learning, you should do that. And then Tim Ferriss's The Four Hour Body, Four Hour Chef, Four Hour Workweek, all great books. You'll like them. I love them on Audible. Um, I've listened to them all, read them, and listened to them. So you guys will dig that. Today's episode of the Padawoo Podcast is brought to you by Blue Zone SUP. Blue Zone specializes in paddle surfing retreats and camps, and you guys have heard and seen loads about our surf and our coaching, but you have not seen or heard much about our area 
or our facilities. Here's recent guests, Adam and Lindsay, talking about their trip to the Blue Zone. Paddling in Garza is magical. I felt very zen at that time. I probably could have laid on my board and just, <laughs> you could have just left me there and I would have been great. It would have been awesome. Fresh salads and fresh um, fruit smoothies, just out of this world. Fresh pureed drinks, I just felt healthier. The sunsets are the best I've ever seen in my life. And then of course the sunsets. Every two minutes at night was the best time <laughs> of the trip, just to catch those. Uh, zip lining was so much fun. The horseback riding was absolutely unbelievable. Casa Corona is its own little magical paradise. The master suite in the top is out of, out of this world. <laughs> the master bedroom suite is banging. I will, can I come live here? <laughs> can I tell them to move in? Uh, Adam Champagne, I'm the graphic designer and marketing director for Stand Up Journal. My name is Lindsay Sharp, and I'm the communications manager and brand content manager at Sotheby's International Realty. Corporate. I'm coming back. We're planning our next trip. Book your trip at bluezonesup.com. All right, all right. One more thing before we hop into the episode today. It's something that maybe you have seen if you've been following the show. You've definitely heard me talking about it. The Progression Project. Now... The trailer has officially been released. It was run on Stand Up Journal. It was run on Sup the Mag. It was run on Sup Racer, which uh, I have been told is very cool because they don't cover very much surfing on Sup Racer. So thank you very much over there for that. Thank all of you guys for publishing and promoting the trailer for the Progression Project. Thus far, we're about a week and a half since the release of the trailer, and it has over 12,000 views. So that is more than I anticipated. And I am very excited about the film coming out. It looks like that film will come out somewhere around the June time frame. And there have been a few film festivals, uh, whatnot, that have contacted us asking to be able to be a part of releasing the film. We would love to do that. And I know that there's going to be um, maybe something in California coming up for that as well. Now, what we've done here in the last week is going to be symbiotic to the first film. Now, it is not documenting the, obviously, the Young Guns. This is with the Legends. But the idea was to showcase the, you know, Kalama, Colin, Bainey. These are some of the guys that brought our sport to the level of where it is currently. And so we're hashtagging Progression Project Origins on this one right now. I don't know if that title is going to stick, but uh, we definitely scored some incredible surf over the week. And I am very excited about working on this project. So um, I should also throw out there, if you'd like to be a part of what we're doing, if you own a company, if you're in the industry and you like what PaddleWoo and what the Progression Project is, and you want to help further that aim, which is our goal here is to showcase and promote the very best, the pinnacle of the sport in high-performance stand-up paddle surfing. If you like that goal, if you want to be a part of that goal, please email uh, us, uh, contact us through paddlewoo.com. Okay, without further delay, thank you very much for listening to all of that random ramble. Uh, let's get into the Legends podcast. Dave Kalama, Colin McPhillips, Dave Bainey, live from, well, not live, but in Costa Rica. Here you go. 
All right, so we are recording right now in the blue zone of Costa Rica, and I am joined with uh, three legends of our sport from left to right, Dave Kalama, Dave Bainey, and Colin McPhillips. And we don't really have an agenda for this podcast, but we didn't want to waste an opportunity of these three guys being down here surfing every day and not put something down on the record. So let's start off with what got you guys down to Costa Rica and uh, what do you think so far? We've surfed now for three days, three days in the water, a couple different waves. What do you think, Dave Kalama? Alaska Airlines got us down here. You picked us up at the airport, and thank you very much, because it would have been a long walk to Nasara. <laughs> so that was epic. Um, I'm going to switch gears right off the bat. Colin, you and I had a conversation today out in the water about why more longboarders didn't transition over to stand-up, because they were already more than halfway there. Um, I... I Really, I'm baffled why more longboarders didn't get into long into stand-up. Because I mean, it's it's all you do is out a paddle. You're almost riding the same board. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent. You're uh, coming from a longboard background. You already know how to use that rail line. You're used to bigger equipment. It's just a natural, easy transition. And with the paddle, I mean, if you thought you could slingshot around your high-performance 9.0 longboard. With the paddle help, it's just ridiculous the speed and power you get out of um, riding a 90 sup. I'm pretty much hooked. I mean, all I've been riding for the last year pretty much is just a 90 performance stand-up surfboard, and absolutely love it. And I bet you a lot of those guys are probably kind of bummed because they're not down here surfing with us right now with a paddle. Well, one of them is Dave. You're a, a kind of longboard connoisseur. What's your take on that whole thing? Um, you know, I would sit on the same mind frame as you guys. Uh, it, dis it did seem like in the beginning, you know, there were some longboard guys, like Dwayne DeSoto guys and Bonga, and those guys were doing a lot more. Um, but it kind of simmered down, and as boards got shorter, you know, it just seems like that's probably where the interest lost. I remember there's one competition. Uh, it was the Standard World Tour at Huntington. I remember, uh, I think a couple of those guys did that event. But it was like that year when boards really got short and just you know just based on that and they changed the criteria to short more shortboarding and you know they didn't stand a chance that year but they were ripping but it was a different type of ripping so one thing that i thought was really interesting and i believe it was you dave bainey that was saying this the other day is you were telling me stories about how when stand-up started a lot of really well-renowned you don't need to name names but a lot of very well-renowned surfers jumped in and really loved stand-up, and then have transitioned out, and some of them are now ardent uh, opposers of the sport. What do you think happened there? Don't, don't say names, but maybe tell some of those stories, and what do you think the mindset change was there? Yeah, when I think about that, um, those guys you're talking about, you know, they were basically famous shortboarders. I mean, probably had a, had a, had a um, influence on me to even get into stand-up stand paddling at that time. You know, I was I was doing it, but I, I saw a couple of those guys that I looked up to doing it. You're like, oh, cool, I got to start doing it more. And um, but yeah, they went by the wayside. None of them um, claim it or promote it or really pay attention to it. And um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why why that is because they were kind of leading it in the beginning. 
but now they, some of them don't even touch it. Yeah, my opinion is that they're influenced by peer pressure. There's, okay, if, if you have a bad experience, you fall, I don't know, you end up on rocks, whatever it might be, something chases you away from it, I can kind of get my head around that. But other than that, I just couldn't understand how you would walk away from a sport that's so fun. So the only thing I can think of, and I might be totally off base here, but when you're heavily in the shortboarding world and you come out and go stand, stand up paddling, you are going to get some blowback from friends around you. And if you're the type of person that is succumbs to peer pressure, then you're probably gonna fall back into that. And you might even be one of those people that now is more anti against stand-up because you want to prove to your peers that, oh yeah, yeah, I'm out of that, that's not cool, you know, I'm, I'm pure shortboard now. To me, okay, whatever, if that's, if that's the path you wanna walk, go right ahead. Everybody's free to choose and, and go the path they want, but hey, be your own person. Do what you think is fun, and if stand-up is fun to you, just, I mean, I hear it all the time, you know, I get little chirps out in the water. A lot of guys want to bag on something that they're not doing, and a lot of that comes from insecurity, because they want to believe what they're doing is right. No one wants to spend time, days, months, years, and somehow have what they're doing be questioned, right? And when you're out in the water and it looks like you're having fun, maybe even more fun than they are, then they have to start questioning consciously or subconsciously, are they, do, are they having as much fun as you? Are they doing the right thing? And so one of the ways to convince yourself is to go, oh, that's stupid. And you feel, oh, well, that means I'm doing the right thing. You know what I mean? So a lot of it has to do with Leading and following, if you want to get down to the bare bones of it, you know, I like I tend to hang out with guys that walk their own path. If they want to shortboard, by all means, go do it. But don't bag on stand-up in order for you to go shortboard. Shortboarding is a beautiful thing, but to me, it's no more beautiful than longboarding. It's no more beautiful than canoe surfing, stand-up. It's all part of surfing. No one thing is more superior than the other. It's just different ways to do the same thing. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's an art form or a sport, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> is it. Is surfing an art or a sport, Dave Bainey? You'd be the one, I think, that should answer this question. Um, well, I, I don't really get too deep into it where like, I claim the waves, my canvas, and my boards, the paintbrush, and all that stuff. But um, it definitely is more of an art, I think you know, without getting too deep into that. Um, but sport drives the industry, drives progression, drives, you know, you, you need to have heroes to look up to. Those guys are pushing the limits and everything like that. So, um, like, I'm a fan of the sport of surfing, you know, but it, it, it is one of those things that, you know, it's it doesn't have an even playing field, right? The waves are different, you know. It's not like the basketball hoop's always there and you can just practice on that 10-foot hoop. It's It's... You know, that's where the gray area is for me, you know. It, it's you like figure skating and its subjectivity. I guess so, yeah. Which drives me nuts about <laughs> competitive surfing. Yeah, I, I mean, that would be, you know, my complaint in that. But like I said, like, I'm a big fan of it, all of it. I'm, I geek out and all that stuff. But, um, yeah, it's more of an art form. But I, I haven't got to that realm where 
or it's like my canvas or anything like that. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever Colin McPhillips is in the room, there's, you can hear that sound a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's just Colin. It's not even me this time. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so one thing that has impressed me to no end, and I have on the show talked about the race to the bottom and that performance is going to come from the ability to paddle smaller boards that can draw tighter lines. And I pretty much have to question a lot of that right now because <laughs> watching Dave Kalama and Colin McPhillips surf nine foot boards and draw radical lines, uh, rail work that you don't see from many of the younger generation. A couple of guys are really burying the rail. Mo buries the rail. A couple of guys, Giorgio buries the rail, but Colin and Dave are just blasting these big rail turns. Let me chime in on that, Dave. Yeah, I do because Maybe. don't don't get it twisted. Like Colin and Dave are the only two people on earth that could surf a nine foot board like that. Is know? that is that what the, that's what it <laughs> that's is? That's my theory. I but, guess three time world longboard champ. But in it the does. House. Yeah, I mean, it gives you it gives you uh, motivation to try different boards, right? You're, everyone's all like you're saying, race to the bottom, trying to get smaller and smaller and smaller, but. To, to ride longer boards and different size boards, I mean, it's going to help your surfing. And, I mean, if you could figure that turnout on a nine-foot board, imagine what it's going to feel like on your seven-foot-five board. Right. So. Talk about that turn that you're doing. I want Dave Kalama to talk about that turn, too, because I'm really impressed with how fast that's coming around. To set the stage here, we're surfing kind of like a lined-up bigger. It's been, you know, what, head high, a couple feet overhead the last day or so. We're surfing a right point break, and both of these guys on their nine-foot boards are coming off the bottom, tons of speed, kind of, what would you say, like roller coastering the lip and then setting that rail and coming around as fast as I've really seen anybody come around and blasting the, the re-entry there um, with, a, with so much more speed than when you're kind of sliding the tail and, and losing that speed. T talk about that turn, Colin. Yeah, I kind of... It's kind of like a figure eight turn. I've always been, coming from longboard days, I love just the figure eight roundhouse cut back, hit the, hit the oncoming whitewash, but come out of it with just as much speed as you went into it with. And the way I like to surf, I feel like my, my 9.0 longboard style sup actually enhances my turns. I get more power, more speed, more like a, like a slingshot off of what I'm doing by having more rail line. So for me, it, it's completely natural and it feels better turning a bigger board. When I get on a smaller board, I want to start turning that way and I get slidey feeling. I don't like to slide. I like to just hold one arcing turn and have that feeling of like speed and power. And that's what's got me hooked. But um, it's just, I've always said in the past, I kind of just follow my paddle and it just slings me around. Yeah. It's a big trick. And so what we're doing down here right now is we're doing a lot of filming and there's a project coming out that'll be out in, I don't know, probably four to six months after you guys hear this. Um, and so when that project, you'll probably listen to this podcast now, but then go back and listen to it again after you see the film and look at the differences between Colin's front side turn where he buries the paddle right away, falls on the paddle and comes around, and Dave Kalama's frontside turn, where you wait to engage the paddle until you're halfway through your turn. Kind of explain the difference. How do you see your turn 
different from Collins. They look fairly similar, but you're using the paddle completely different. Well, I'll, I'll just explain mine and let Colin explain his. But mine, I have found for me that if I don't engage the paddle right away, I maintain my speed through the initial part of the turn better, which allows me to tighten up the radius at the end as I come banking into the whitewater. Um, now, just in terms of the way we're riding 9-0s, a lot of my inspiration, um, well, it comes from my old longboarding days. I was always more probably leaning towards progressive surfing, but the only difference it feels like to me, I mean, my 9-0 my stand-up is lighter than my 9-0 longboard used to be. So it's almost easier to throw around. That width actually equates to more speed more of the time. Now, at the upper end, the width in, uh, inhibits the speed a little bit. You know, a narrow one would go faster at the high end, but at the low end, it actually keeps you planing better so that you can make more aggressive turns as you slow down as compared to a, a narrower board, right? But the other day, it was funny, I, I had the, I think I saw a turn that Shane Dorian posted on Instagram, and he came into this turn, kind of open face, not quite an off the lip, not tr a true cutback, but he laid into it with so much commitment to the rail. It, was, it just inspired me. I'm like, that's how I want to turn. Just bury that thing. And so even more so lately, I've been trying to, when I get speed, just bury that rail as deep and as hard as I can get it, initiate it without the paddle so that I can use the paddle to whip the last part of the turn if I want, or just keep carving through it on the trajectory that I set initially. But... Uh, yeah, I th like Colin, I think my style is just more conducive to a longer board. When I get on a shorter board, sometimes it works. Sometimes I start to look spastic because I'm trying to do too much and wiggle too much because the board's so loose, I end up losing some of that drive and power that's more unique <laughs> <laughs> to my style. You know, So I think the 9-0 and longer. Like I've been having my son ride a 9-0 production board a lot lately, so that when he goes back to a 7.0, it feels like a little toy. And that's what I do. I just made myself a 12-footer to start trying to surf that. So when I come back to my 9, it feels, you know, I'm mean, a 3-foot short. Like, imagine going from a 9 to a 6. You know, it seems significant, right? So the same thing from a 12 to a 9. So I'm just trying to make my 9-footer feel as small and surf it as small as possible, but understanding that the longer rail is more conducive to, to how... Colin and I surf, probably. How do you see the two different turns that they're doing? Because they're very different turns, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I've, I've, always, I've, I've, I've been fortunate enough to go on a few handful of trips with Dave, so I've seen him surf quite a bit. And, you know, the first thing you think of is rail. Including West Edmonton Mall. <laughs> yeah, West Edmonton Mall, <laughs> where it really goes down. But, uh, but, yeah, you know, the first thing you think about, you know, if, if anyone describes Dave, it's power, right? So he just, he always, he's always in the right spot and uses rail and he has that power. And that one turn you're talking about, it's almost like a delayed one and then really emphasized in there. And he has that one signature, like, thing off the, off the foam ball, you know? Right. And I was just thinking about, uh, we were talking about it a little bit today and I was thinking about, like, I always come in a little bit, like, more diagonal at it and then he's coming at it more horizontal, but th doing that, it, slings them out of it like Colin was saying quicker you don't get kind of hung up in that so I want to try to try to do do that 
this week a little bit. Yeah, that's what I'm leaving. I mean, we've only we're three days into a seven day trip right now. But my takeaway at this point is that I'm gonna learn that turn. I'm gonna. It's just so much fun to watch, and just the speed that's coming through it. So that's my that's my new goal. Yeah, that's the best thing about trips like this because I surf a certain way and kind of go to the same like use of my paddle over and I, I'm just kind of, you know, that's what I've always gone to. But then when you watch other guys that you really like the way they surf, it's like, okay, let's try and mix that in and take some of that and then see what happens. Right. And then my, what my thought is that it's going to just make things better. Yeah. yeah. It's very interesting to watch the difference in the lines that you guys are drawing and then the lines that the crew that was down here in November, the progression project crew, those lines that those guys were drawing, because it's a lot more rail involved right now. Um, not a lot of, I mean, you're hitting a lip for sure, but not in the same way. It's gonna be fun to watch those two projects and, and, and look at the differences. There's no, surfing's an art, right? There's no, there's no right, I love it. All right, so I got, I got sort of a business proposal. It just came to me. If stand-up is for everyone, then that means there should be a ride at Disneyland where you go on a stand-up board, and maybe instead of those little boats through the small world, you're on stand-up boards <laughs> through small world. <laughs> well, sir, can I uh, help you get on well, your board here? <laughs> Once you see that, that Wookiee pop out, like, I get scared anyway. Like, I'm, I'm eating crap on my stuff board when you see the little Wookiee come out of the matter. 36-inch wide board. Anybody can stand on it. We go through the jungle ride. Watch out for the hippos. How's that for fun? Uh, I'm going to Disneyland with that. That would be good. That would be good. Mickey on a stand-up. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't they have that like stand-up workout like I saw on Shark Tank or something? Oh, no, that was a surfing workout. Never mind. Yeah. I, I was going to say, I didn't say this yet, but I think tomorrow instead of surfing, we should do sup yoga. Yeah. I've never on done. a wave. That's the <laughs> only way I'm doing it. <laughs> and it's got to be early because it's hot to be doing some yoga in the middle of the day. Okay. That's I like for sure. It. Tomorrow, down dog going right. <laughs> that would be a great shot. That would be a great shot. We'll let, we should put a bounty on that. $20 bounty for the person who can pull off a down dog uh, in front of the camera. Cut back. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we're not drinking any Imperials. <laughs> um... Something that we mentioned the other day that I want you on the record about Dave Kalama is the record on the record. It seems like every couple times that a post hits the inertia from us, someone chimes in. I'll stand up the little craze. It's it's like windsurfing. I don't think it is. I know you don't think it is. Why is it different? You've been involved intimately in both sports. What are the differences that are going to create longevity for the sport of stand up? Well, Sit down for a while. We're going to be here All right, for a little bit. No, I'm Lock in. I could go on forever, but I'm just going to give the, the two main reasons, I think, is one, the equipment, while an aspect of stand-up is progressing very quickly, the, the majority of stand-up um, is relatively simple, and, and that's where most partic participants live, is in that board that floats, go and play on flat water, and so you don't really need something hyper-technical or 
something that develops year after year and changes quite a bit, which is w what the case was with windsurfing. And so it became year after year, you had to update your equipment. So there, it's very expensive in that sense, right? And then the other thing that I think is working to our benefit is the low barrier of entry. Anyone can do it at any time. You don't have to wait for the wind. Um, you don't need special equipment. Um, windsurfing was kind of hard to learn, you know, and so that made it, you had to be committed to wanting to do it. Stand up with, with the right equipment. I mean, we all s have seen it. We probably taught it. Everyone has been exposed to it. It's easy to learn. And so I think for that reason alone, shoot, it's probably easier than riding a bike. You know, and if you think of how many people ride bikes, it, it's probably easier to do stand-up paddling than ride a bike. So in that sense, I think we have a very good chance at surviving a long, happy life, <laughs> so to speak, um, with stand-up. And I think that's what differentiates it quite a bit from windsurfing. And if there is a healthy stand-up uh, global sport, not just the surfing aspect, it will feed into the progressive aspects of paddling, which will be racing and surfing. I think that's always, I think people are going to, a select group of people who get into stand-up as a recreational activity are gonna move into the uh, more high-performance aspects of the sport. Do you agree with that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a natural progression. Once you try stand-up, a, a large percentage of people are going to come back to it. They're going to find a passion for it, and that will lead them into the genre that they want to pursue. Flat water, racing, waves, whatever it might be. There's so many options to choose what you like about this sport. And so it has something for everybody. I mean, it really does. Or you can just keep it simple. Go down to the lake on the weekend with the kids and just have a ball. You know, if that's as far as you get, that's fun. And that's what it's all about, really. Yeah, and I agree with Dave for sure. Um, I'm, I, I honestly think uh, stand-up paddling, I, I'd rather compare it to snowboarding than windsurfing. You know, um, it does have some parallels with windsurfing, obviously. But, um, you know, you, you will see like the industry kind of consolidating. There's not going to be as many brands and, and whatnot, but, um, you know, it's more like snowboarding where it's, it's still going to be a sport, but it's it's uh, year-round. It's not seasonal like snowboarding in most places. So I do think it has a chance to, um, you know, be even bigger than snowboarding, really. Um, what do you think, Colin? <laughs> no, I agree 100%. I, I mean, I come from... You know, going on family trips with with friends and, and and their kids and this and that, and I always bring stand-up boards. And no matter where we go, if there's water, you're having fun with a sup, plain and simple. And now I'm the guy that's always bringing the inflatables. Always have to bring, and they expect it because they no matter where we go up to the mountains, we're in lakes, we're in rivers, we're at the beach, we're at you know the Gulf of Mexico where there's no waves. But having a stand-up board is all you need, and everybody has fun on it. From the little kid that's scared to death of the water but gets out there and is like, wow, I can do this, to the guy that, you know, next thing you know, he's like a, a workout, fast racer and really going after it. So it offers everything for everybody. So it's kind of like, the, it's the most no-brainer, fun thing to do. All right, I'm going to lob a question out there. The other day, I, I, I think it was you I was having this conversation with, Colin. Um, and I was, I, I was inspired by looking at uh, some news 
article about somebody that won a lottery, you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars. And I posed the question, would you trade your life and experiences to, lin to win the lottery, you know? And, and well, I'll, I'll let you take it from there. But uh, I, I, I think it shows the value of what we've done with our lives to this point and, and how significant that is. Yeah, I remember that conversation because we both agreed. Um, yeah, we wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for a second. Um, the fun, the learning experiences, the passion behind like getting good at something. I think getting good at riding waves is the hardest sport in the world. It's one of those sports. It's, it's not like a skateboard ramp that's the same thing every time, the basketball hoop. It's, it's one of those sports that's just the gnarliest thing you could think of, of a moving object that people ride and do things on. And just getting to experience the lifestyle and everything around it, I wouldn't trade anything for the world. It's insane. Me either. <laughs> no, and I, and I seriously mean that. I mean, I would not trade it for $100 million because... You know, I, I honestly tend to believe that when your time comes, your bank account ain't coming with you. No. But I pray to God some of those memories are coming with me <laughs> because they're really good. And uh, it, the amount of fun that I've had to this point, it's not fair. It's literally <laughs> not fair that I've had this much fun <laughs> to ride big waves and the people I've gotten to surf with. And, you know, it, it's incredible. So I don't, money is great and I would love to have a million dollars, but not at the expense of trading in what I've experienced. Bainey, I'm sure you got two cents. Well, you know what they say, there is a price for everything. So a hundred million, no. Hundred and million and one, I'm in. <laughs> no, just kidding. Like, I agree with you guys. Like, I mean, because I, I, I went up the corporate ladder in the surf industry, you know, and I think, Dave, you were telling us how you were doing a rep job and stuff. And, and you know, I, I pretty much, I was making more money than I make now. But, you know, uh, my lifestyle is way more rich, you know. Um, and like they're saying, I, I wouldn't go back. You know, I made a decision to do that, and it's been the best decision of my life. So. Um, I agree for sure. You know, as I have been specking out ideas for this project, thinking about what the three of you guys represent and thinking about themes throughout your lives, it's, you're some of the luckiest people to have walked on the planet Earth, if you think about it. I mean, that's a true statement. I mean, we live in a time, it's one of the luckiest times to ever live, where you have easy access to food and shelter and health care. You don't necessarily have to work as hard as a lot of people are. And you guys have figured out a way to sustain, have beautiful families, and get by surfing, doing the, the best thing that you can possibly do. And I just think it's amazing. I think it's, I think it's one of the coolest things ever. Um, stoked to be hanging out and, and doing this and getting to experience it with you guys for a minute. It's very cool. Let's get nerdy for a second. All right. Dave was explaining the liters versus kilograms thing to me the other day because I'm not very <laughs> schooled in my liters and volume. I know width, thickness, length, you know, like the back of my hand. But when it came to liters, I was like, uh, I drink a liter of water, I guess. <laughs> anyway, I'll let Dave had a great 
formula for it, so I'll let him explain it. Well, if everybody wants to just go back and not use leaders, I'm totally cool with that because, like, you know, for years I was two and a quarter in my shortboard, right? And that's fine. But now guys come in and buy a shortboard, you know, they're like, I need it 23 liters and it'll be 24. And, and honestly, they want to make a custom board because of that. So, you know, there's good and the bad. Um, but what Dave was talking about was just a lot of the, um, you know, more of the advanced guys, there's kind of a, a, a certain bar threshold that we've, kind of come to realize was if you if you get your board the same liters that you are in your weight in kilograms you know it's a good it's a good threshold you know you're going to sink that board but obviously if you got to be advanced to ride that board but it's a good it's a good thing to know that that board will at least float you not saying it'll be easy to ride but it'll float you so one liter of water weighs one kilogram so there that's that's equal so 80 liters is float for 80 kilograms i'm just breaking this down for some someone may not understand that um and then if you are riding a board that's equal uh volume to weight ratio like the best guys in the world right now where's that going where's that going to float you at how you gonna be um, above the water with that I mean, if you're paddling, you're above the water, but if you're just standing there and you can stand on it, it, it I would say you'd, you'd probably sink mid-calf or so. And, um, you know, a lot of the top kids are going even, I mean, to their waist and stuff. So, um, obviously, you got to work up to that. But it's not a good barometer for the average person, for sure. Eric, i got a question for you. Okay. Hit me. You might have asked this already to somebody else, but for some reason it just popped in my head. If you're the president, no, the the grand supreme emperor of the stand-up universe, <laughs> what are the first three things you do to change our universe? Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, I've had that conversation with Tyler Calloway and Eric Logan, and both of their responses are great. Um, what I would do... I have thought about this a little bit. I don't know if there's three things, but but the number one thing would be I would try to rebrand the sport. And I'm talking about paddle surfing at this point. I'm not talking about stand-up. I think that at this point in time, paddle surfing needs to have its own brand and be in control of its own image. And someone needs to be responsible for doing that. And the reason is, is if you think about surfing, if you talk about surfing with someone who's not a surfer, probably the first thing that they're going to think about, you say, name a surfer, they're probably going to name Kelly Slater. And if they had a mental flash of an image of surfing, it would probably be Kelly Slater doing like a turn at J-Bay or, or something very iconic, maybe Jerry Lopez dropping into Pipeline. Both incredible surfing images. Now, if you say, picture someone, what's the first thing that pops into your mind when you're about paddle surfing? It's probably not the pinnacle of the sport. It is probably somewhere very low on the food chain of the sport. And that is just, I think, a consequence of uh, surfing's uh, lack of interest in the sport and trying to portray, I mean, the memes that come out, the, yeah, my boyfriend was a surfer, but then I found out he's a sub, like, that's funny, but it's bad for the sport and there needs to be positivity and it would be great if when people thought about stand-up paddle surfing, they thought about the best and not the worst. Um, and so that would be the first thing that I would focus on, and that's kind of what we do focus on, is trying to showcase the sport in its highest form. And I feel like if the first progression project and then this 
project, if, if those things can help get out, and that's one of the reasons that we're gonna release these for free, is because paddle surfers will probably buy these movies, but it wouldn't get outside of that realm. And my hope is that these projects can go a little bit farther. Um, and I don't know if I've thought past step one and, and what I think the sport needs, but that would be the first thing. Oh, I do have step two, and this is something we've talked about on the show too, and that is trying to get paddle surfing contests put in to higher end surfing contests along with them, even if it runs like as an ex exhibit event where you get some of the best guys to surf along with some of the best surfers. Um, even if it costs, I mean, if you look what it costs to put on an event, I think paying to have, you know, four heats run would be a good thing to expose it to the sport because that happens here in Costa Rica and you get a lot of positive feedback and you get people from those contests saying, hey, I want to try your board. And that's happening here locally. Uh, I think it would work on a grander scale too. If that answers your question. Two out of three ain't bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got a question <laughs> for Colin. So if you could teach anyone in the world to stand up paddle, who would it be and for what reason? <laughs> the beach. That's a hard one. Um, I don't know. I've done lots of surf lessons in my time, and and I really actually love doing lessons because I'm passing on something to somebody that I'm really passionate about and really like it. And it's not so much some famous person or like a president I'd probably choose. It's some kid that you know, doesn't have much, much experience in the ocean and doesn't know much about it, and I take him out for the day and get him doing something that I really think is going to change his life for the better, and he's going to follow it and do it. So it'd be, it'd be probably just some random kid that's never surfed before and leaves with his eyes this big and just stoked as can be, and it's like, okay, I'm going to, like, dedicate my life to getting good at this, and that's what I did, and... So I would choose just some random beginner. Even though you didn't ask me, I'm going to give you an answer <laughs> for me. Dude, I, I've thought about this a little bit. If I could teach anybody, I would love to teach the head of ISIS. Okay? And what I mean by that is if I could teach that guy to go out and have fun and realize that life is good and it's worth living and don't be so freaking killer in the worst sense of that word, maybe he wouldn't be so inspired to kill people or be bad, so bad, you know what I mean? It's like if I, if I could dump like a thousand stand-ups on some country, it'd be in the Middle East. I'd love to give those people a reason to be passionate about something that's fun and not, I mean, I'm sure it goes way past that. Okay, I'm being very simplistic. I understand. There's so many geopolitical things that you could open there, but I'm going to keep it simplistic and just, God, if I could teach those guys to have fun and not pick up an AK or, you know, want to shoot people because they look at MTV or something, that's, I mean, I, I, I would love to teach somebody like that that might go... Hey, I learned this thing. 
all of you learn to do it now, you know. <laughs> that would be kind of a cool thing. Keep the mic for a second. Who's the most inspirational person that you've had the opportunity to surf with? Wow. Who's the most inspirational? Not necessarily a surfer. Just right. Hmm. That you've had the opportunity to share the ocean with. I'm sort of drawn a full blank. I've had the opportunity to surf with some kind of big names in a way. I, I, I got to uh, Gerald Gerard Butler before he did uh, the Mavericks movie. I actually worked with him for a day on just how to lay on your surfboard and how to paddle around and not look quite so kooky. That was kind of fun. But um, in terms of inspirational, wow. Jerry Lopez has always been extremely inspirational to me. Buttons, Bertleman, when I was a Grom coming up, um, those guys, I, mean, I watched all the movies they were in and tried to emulate them when I surfed. Not even close, obviously, but very inspirational to me in terms of molding sort of how my, sh my surfing was. But um, I guess I'd have to say my, my, my father, Elima, who was a surfing champion in 62 uh, himself. And so when I was a kid coming up, you know, that was very inspiring to me. Wanted to carry on the family roots. His dad was a champion body surfer and canoe paddler. So there was always something inside of me that wanted to carry on the family name. So I guess I was pretty inspired by that and, and proud to have sort of carried that legacy on and, and now even handed to my son, Austin. Do you have a good answer for that one? Just an inspirational surfer? Yeah, people that you've had the opportunity to surf with that you mm -hmm. think back. like that's a. I mean, like the typical answers would be like, uh, I've had, uh, when I used to work for Etnies, I got to surf with the Malloys a lot. I always just thought those guys were badass, you know, and just the way they go about life or whatever. But um, as, as corny as it sounds, as I get older, I really appreciate surfing with my parents and especially like someone like my mom. Like, she's, she's just so badass, you know? She's, like, 68 years old, and she gets, I mean, she gets pummeled, you know, catches waves. She, she's asking me how to do a turn and this and that. And the day your mom asks you how to mount her GoPro on her board, I mean, that's pretty awesome, right? So my mom's my hero, so I get inspired by my parents. I really do. It's, it, it sounds corny, but it's, it's totally true. I've got a couple guys that um, I could sit down and just talk stories with and hear about what they did back in the days. You know, like Phil, Phil Edwards is one that, I mean, I could just sit and listen to him and the stuff that he got to do before anybody else did and places surf, this and that. Um, but then on a actual, like, you know, still out there doing it, riding waves, he's probably more stoked than all of us in the room added together still is Mickey Munoz. And mongoose. Yeah, the mongoose. And um, I get to travel with Mickey a lot, and we surf together a lot, and it's just really inspiring to see what he's still doing at his age and how good he's surfing. And that's, like, somebody that I want to be doing the same thing and just, like, copy it completely. And then just getting to hear about what he did as, you know, one of the, in the pack of the first guys to paddle at Waimea and just stuff he did back when, there was no one doing things like that. It's just radical. And um, I don't know, it's just one of those guys that I just want to keep doing the same thing. I, I say I want to be like the best 90-year-old surfer 
you know, when I get old. That's, that's my goal. I always tell my kids, like, we'll be surfing trestles. If, if you think I get waves now when I'm, like, 90, I'm going to get any wave I look at. But my, I don't want to just go straight and stand there, like, all decrepit. I want to, like, still surf. That's my goal. Or any wave you can catch. Yeah, there's another <laughs> word. And, and all the years, I always tell my kids, all the years that I've pushed you into waves or I come up behind you and give you that last little sling and you catch it, and I don't catch it, when I'm old, it's payback. Uh, all right, so I'm going to change topics here a little bit. What kind of wave do you guys want to surf tomorrow? <laughs> we've done, we've done uh, a couple reef breaks. Pretty much we've only surfed reef breaks so far, but it's a little bit big. I don't know if we can surf a beach break tomorrow. What kind of wave do you want to surf? I just want to surf a good one. I don't care if it's left, right. Um, I don't. You want to surf a good one with no people. What? If well, we're being honest. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Definitely. That's a nice added bonus. And no rocks would be nice. <laughs> Dave was ruling the rock pile today. He he was kind of taking over the sand pile and just tearing the left apart. Colin and I were. Uh, taking rock samples on the inside. <laughs> but uh, I'm just into good surf. I don't care if it, like I always say, two foot to 20 foot, I don't care. Good's good. I think anywhere new. Like Dave says, two foot to 20 foot, whatever. If it's a new... Travel tomorrow. Yeah, go somewhere yeah. new, see something different, new cove, new setup. Right. right or left, it don't matter. I think that, that'd be pretty fun. Like we already, we've already surfed a handful of spots. I've never surfed down here, and I've been down here plenty of times, so... I mean, I'm I'm excited already. It's been it's been super awesome. Yeah, I'm easy. I, I'm with with you. We've got good waves, you know, at at spots around here, and something new, you know, a sup rides anything, whether it's small, big, blown out. You have fun, so whatever. Let's do it. It's cool how stand ups pretty much dominate in little surf and then in big surf too, right? I feel much more comfortable dropping in. In bigger surf. It's like a step off. Have you seen these knuckleheads? Yeah, that was wild today, right? <laughs> it's like a uh, roll in on the mega ramp. Yeah. It was at Kalama Reef out at there. At Kalama Reef. It was super fun. I surf that wave all the time, and I always feel, because I'm surfing mostly with shortboarders, and I always feel like I'm getting the roll in, right? Because I'm getting in before, like on a shortboard, you kind of have to take off on the double up under the lip there. And then I'm kind of feel like I'm getting the roll in. And then today, to watch those bigger boards, just come in from so deep with a lot of speed through the section where I'm taking off, like a hundred, probably a hundred yards outside of where you can catch that wave on a shortboard. Yeah, it's, it's like phenomenal. Boardline board cheating is so fun. A little bit. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. I dope. thought it was cheating when I was on the sub. <laughs> <laughs>
um, I feel a little bit bad because they're going to be, if they write a board that looks anything similar to what Kelly's writing or John John's writing, they are going to be compared to that level of surfing. And if we're being real about it, they're not as good as John John and Kelly and Mick and all those guys that ride truly short boards, right? Uh, I mean, real short boards. And so that part of me feels bad for them. But purely from a stand-up point of view, how they're surfing and how far they have progressed it in the last couple years is so impressive and, and so fun to watch from my perspective that it, it's, it's inspiring. It's inspiring. I mean, part of me, when I'm out there on my 9-0, it's like, oh, I want to do a turn how I saw Zane do it or Kai's one wave at sunset or whoever it is, you know? So I feel a little bit bad, too, because they're so talented at what they do, but they're not having or they're not getting the opportunity to truly reap the benefits for being the best guys in the world at what they do in surfing stand-up-wise, you know? And so, you know, I was very fortunate when I was in windsurfing and I was at the top of my game, there was enough sponsorship, there was enough money to actually make a decent living at it. And I feel like because of where the sport is in a surfing competitive sense, it's not flourished. It's not matured. And these guys are having to go through some great experiences, but in terms of financial, financially, kind of hard times in a way for how good they are. You know, so there's all these sort of dichotomies of one thing is really great about what they're doing and one thing is tough and challenging about what they're doing. But from me personally, super inspired, super fun to watch. Um, these guys truly are ripping. And I hope before they're done and their cycle runs out that they do get to reap the benefits of, of their talent level. You know what I mean? Because I know we're, we're not at the finish line, and they're not even close to where they're going to ultimately be when they peak, equipment-wise and talent-wise. So it, they're going to get better. That brings up an interesting point. Where are we on the curve right now of equipment, like as far as progression is going to go? Maybe actually, Dave Vaney, you're, you're a good one to answer this. Where are we on the curve right now of, of where equipment's going to go? If you look at how refined surfboards, shortboards are right now, at being 100%, where are we in, in paddle surfing? Um, well, well, for the top guys, like the kids were talking about it, they're still going smaller, you know? And you'll see like Mo and a couple guys experimenting going longer, narrower. Um, but like the average Joe, I've seen a trend of guys going a little bit bigger again. Um, because there is a point where it comes to it comes to become like <laughs> this guy at San Onofre always says he's like hey man you're you're stand up paddle wave catching you know because I'm sitting on my board more than I'm standing and you know that's that's like that little area where there's a little bit of a you know gray area there like yeah you're right you know I am kind of <laughs> kind of sitting more than I am standing and that's what I you initially fell in love with the sport was standing the whole time you know and just for two hours and cruising and, and doing that. But, um, you know, you, you get addicted to riding those small boards and you, you, you do that one turn and you're like, man, I want to do that again. But um, I still think guys are going to push it and go shorter. You know, there's a lot of different shapes coming out that are getting shorter and more stable. Um, but I do see a trend as far as the average guy going bigger again. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting in, in that in that aspect of it. Before you pass that up, 
who are the guys right now this crop that are you're seeing? I know Giorgio is going to be the first guy you named. You picked him up on your team. Yep. Um, talk about Giorgio for a little bit, and then jump into some of the other the other guys that you see are really pushing. Yeah, it's funny. Um, when I started making boards for Giorgio, you know, he's a he's like 10, 12 pounds heavier than me. So, and he was riding smaller boards than me. You know, so I was like, wow. And you whatever. I'm like twice his age or whatever. But it's fun to. You know, try to do that. That's fun for me. You know, that's why I ride such small boards. It's just fun to see what you could do. You know, um, on a daily basis, I, I ride a, a bigger board half the time. But um, yeah, so he he hanging out with him just pushes me to go shorter. And you're like, wow, I can't believe I could ride this thing. But him and Mo are really good friends, so they keep jousting and and trying to outdo each other. But there definitely is a little um, there's a threshold for sure. I made a pretty small one for Giorgio. And then we kind of brought it up a little bit. But um, yeah, I would say Giorgio and Mo are kind of pushing it as far as as small as you could go. Because they're, they're, they're not little kids anymore. Like, I used to be taller than both those guys. And they're like bean sprouts. They're, they're like big dudes now, you know? And, um, and then you got someone like Sean Pointer who, who rides bigger boards than half those guys, you know? A um, couple inches wider, same length, stuff like that. And, and he absolutely rips too, so. Yeah, so when they were all down here, I looked at, you know, what they were all riding, talked to them about their weight and the whole thing. Everyone was at their uh, weight-to-volume ratio or lower, like a Mo or a Kieran, and Giorgio probably now were at the, the very bottom end of that being about 5 to 7% less volume to weight. And then Sean was on the other end of that spectrum, and he was at like 5 to 7 above. I mean, he's riding an 80... 78 to 83 liter board and he's you know probably about a 165 i would say and so and he surfs it incredible so i don't know how much that metric yeah it's a hard hard one to call because like i'm down about five liters than i than i rode six months ago but how much more dynamic is my turn you know and what happened to your wave count yeah arguable I don't yeah. know if I'm surfing that much more radical than I was six months ago, you know, just because of the board. So, um, but there are certain parts of the wave and certain parts of the turn where it just feels more shortboardy, and you, you know, you're trying to search for that when you want to surf like that style, and um, that keeps you trying to find that, you know, that feeling. But yeah, you you definitely uh, you give up wave count and like you know, like we we're saying these. Colin and Dave were riding 9 today, and they're sitting way the heck out there and getting waves 200 yards <laughs> from where you are, you and I were sitting. And, uh, you know, that's what stand-up's about, really, at the core. Like, able to do stuff like that is, is, is what it's about. Getting out there, riding the wave like that. And, I mean, I was jealous. I was jealous for sure. Yeah. <coughs> yeah, I'm um, – yeah, I come from – you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer, and you're talking about, you know, weight to ratio and all that, and I tacked on 10 liters on my boards, and it's way, it tacked on like 100 times percent more fun for me. So, I don't know, I'm, I sway in all this, but I watch these guys, and I actually, you know, still show up at a contest and, and go pal out and serve against these young kids and stuff, and they're doing things. So what are you riding right now? You said you tacked on 10 liters. What do you weigh? What are you riding? Let everyone know because they don't know what we know. Um, so I pretty much, I was always, I, I hit that like 89, 90 liter was like my, I can do this, no problem. No matter if it was a 7, 8, 
8.0, whatever, just 90 liters. And my go-to board was always an 8.4. When I started way back when, when you know, I went from an 11.6 to a 9.0 to an 8.4. So 8.4 is like this small board. It was always like my, my number that I loved. But then I started going down to you know, 7.8, 7.10, I think 7.6 at one point. But I always just kept it at 90. So my thing is no matter what was, was 90. And I could stand on it. And then I really got into riding this 9.0 longboard style. And I, my, my 90 liter is also at 27 wide. And three and three quarters is my number for thickness. But I had to obviously beef it up to hit my numbers when it got small. So I did a longboard, 9.0, 27, three and three quarters. And it upped it 10 liters to 100. And talk about, I can chase down waves that are a mile away, catch waves like me and, me and Dave were serving Kalama Reef today catching waves like, you know, 200 yards further out and just slingshotting into them. And that's what I started staying up for. Um, that whole feeling of roaming and, and surfing by yourself. And at home, on my little boards, I'm over it. If I'm up to my knees and struggling to paddle around, I want to be able to like roam up to trestles and, and roam around the beach breaks at my house and just and surf and surf in the wintertime with no wetsuit on and don't fall in and and just adding those leaders and the board I'm on. And me personally, it hasn't taken away my performance side of it, the way I like to surf. I still feel like I could surf a knee-high wave at trestles. I'm by myself. I ride it all the way through the bay. When I kick out, I feel like I was just Tom Curran at J-Bay. And that's the way I feel. And so that's kind of what I'm after. But then I watch these kids surf, and they're doing things that are I can't even fathom how, the, how they're doing it, you know, like the tail's blowing out, this and that, so much spray and speed and power. And then I watch them paddle, and it's like they're up to their waist, and they can still catch waves. So I don't know. They're 20 years younger, and they're doing something pretty spectacular. And it's pretty neat to watch, but it's sometimes hard to figure out how they can actually do it. But it's a sure neat to see it. And I think it's just the it's kind of the start of where they're going to go. They're going to... I mean, even in big waves, stuff that Moe's doing, I, I watch what he's doing in big waves, sup surfing and like at backdoor and pipe and stuff. And it's going to go to like a whole other level in the years to come. It's going to be pretty neat to see, you know, where they take it. Dave Kalamba, if you were 18 years old right now and you surfed a stand-up like a Giorgio or a Moe or a Kai or any of those guys, how would you plan your career? Speaking from a personal point of view, to answer your question, I probably wouldn't do a very good job at managing my career, but I would do a very good job at getting better. When I fall in love with a sport, it completely consumes me, and I spend all of my time doing it. So in that sense, like when I lived in Mammoth, that's all I wanted to do. I just ski raced. I, I'd hike up in the summer times and find a little snow patch and put some poles on it and turn around them. I just love doing it, you know? And so from that sense, I know I would do it as much or more than anybody else, which would give me the opportunity to get better. And that's what I would focus on. Being 18, I wouldn't be smart enough to focus on the sponsorship or do a really good job at being professional. Um, I tend to think I would figure it out, but that wouldn't be my focus. I would, I would just want to get better and keep progressing. And so that's how personally I would probably envision, you know, Dave Klom at 18 getting into stand-up. I'd just be too focused on, on the doing it rather than the selling it. Um, 
in terms of these guys coming up now? Well, let's, let's talk about Kai Lenny for a second. Talk about somebody that is the epitome of a professional stand-up guy. He has honed his game from a pure passion to a, and he's crossed over through marketing um, and talent, but through marketing, he, he literally has taken, taken himself from being a stand-up paddler to, be a, to being a surfing personality that is transcending surf even on an international basis. And so he is truly becoming a star, not, not a stand-up star, not even a surfing star, just a star like Kelly or Laird, in my opinion. And so if there's young kids out there and they want to follow somebody's path to help get them where they want to be, look at what Kai has done. He's done a tremendous job. And I know that's not just Kai because I, I'm fortunate enough to have a, a relationship with his parents. Um, I've helped mold Kai. I even still occasionally work with Kai coaching. Um, so I have a very good insight into his world. And I can tell you the kid is a good kid. First and foremost, he's a good kid. He's a good person. I, I should stop calling him a kid. <laughs> he's getting too old for that. He's a good person, and he purely loves the water. He loves riding waves, and his passion is drawn from that. And so guys that might say, oh, you know, he's kind of a sellout. He's always got cameras around him. He's too big now. You're just jealous because everyone I know would love to have Kai's life and the money he makes. And trust me, you know, back in the old days when I was around Laird a lot, Guy made a lot of money out of surfing, right? But in my opinion, and, and if anybody would know, he earned every single dollar he made because he was so good at it, and he would literally give his life to do what he did. And so in my opinion and from my point of view, he earned every dollar, and I'm on the same sort of vantage point with Kai Lenny. He earns it. He puts the time in. He writes the emails. He does the Instagram. He's doing everything you need to do as a professional and spending more time in the water than anybody else and getting better because of it. And we were, Colin and I were just talking about this a second ago. Is he a surfer? Is he a stand-up? No. He has transcended. The surfing world wants to claim him as a surfer because he's gotten so good at surfing, big wave surfing, right? The stand-up world wants to claim him because he's gotten so good at stand-up. He's both. He's everything. He is a surf personality that has the talent to take himself into just truly being a worldwide known personality, you know? And... and you look at that, and it's so impressive because it's all based in his performance. It's based in true talent, not just marketing. Like a lot of, I mean, he's, he's about as opposite as you could get of being a Kardashian. He actually has substance to his whole thing that he's got going on, right? So, you know, obviously I'm, I, I'm very proud of him because I work very closely with him. I, I've known him for so long. His parents are such good friends. But, uh, boy, another person that reminds me of, of sort of a Kai that has taken, he has become such a popular figure in stand-up and now is going 
and making a name in surfing is Jamie Mitchell. Talk about a true warrior in what he did with with the paddle boarding. Ten championships in a row. Now he's like one of the most renowned big wave chargers in the world. That guy is legit, man. And and I'm going to cut myself off because I could go for another 20 minutes about Jamie because I love the guy and he's so good at what he does. But I'm going to let one of these guys talk about Jamie for a second. Yeah, I uh, tend to agree 100% with what, with what Dave just said. Um, just a quick touch on Kai. That I mean, he is... I mean, he's the best all-around wave rider in the world. There's no arguing it. From one-foot supping waves to gigantic waves to whatever, he is he's someone that I think kids, I know my kids, um, follow him and look up to him. And, you know, and it's one of those things. It's, it's awesome. Why, I've always said, why not, why not be just good at one thing on a wave? You know, do everything good on a wave. If you've got a paddle, you lay down, whatever, do it all. And he's pretty much, you know, that's him. But then coming from someone like Jamie that I've known for a long time and, and, and the respect level so high with him and known him back in the day when he was, you know, just prone racing and to win, you know, the Molokai 10 times, it's, it's baffling. And then to come in and just pretty quickly start kicking everybody's ass and sup racing because he's just such a gnarly dude that can just grind it out and do it and win. And I think all he knows how to do is win. And then to move into charging big waves and really not just like I'm going to just kind of be a half-assed big wave rider to I mean dedicate his life to following every swell and the guy for three years I don't think missed a surf session in any big wave spot there's not many guys that can say they did that and have that dedication and passion and and I'm I hope he reaps the benefits of it because he is a darn good water athlete but he's turned into like you know one of the best big wave riders in the world. Dude, when you say dedication, we're talking shoulder, ribs, freaking elbows, broken, torn. The guy is so dedicated. He, I mean, he's gotten some of the best waves we've ever seen ridden, and he's also gotten some of the best donuts we've ever seen happen to somebody. And yet, it doesn't phase him. It's part of the job. It's part of the deal. I mean, Jamie, Jamie, no one will ever outwork Jamie. That's not even a question. But his level of commitment, and you see why he works so hard, is because he's willing to take whatever tax he has to pay to get those waves, to get where he wants to go. Um, the fact that he got fourth at, at the Eddy recently, I just, I don't think that's a full culmination of all his efforts lately, but it's an indication of how impressive what he is doing right now is, is, you know, coming to a point. And he's he's not there yet. We all know. Jamie don't stop until he gets to the top. Yeah, and Jamie and Kai are, they're both in the same way where, you know, the surf world is kind of waiting to see what they do next, but also the sup world's waiting to see what they do next. And there's no other people like that, you know, around. And they both have the same respect in both, and they—they're probably, the, I mean, they're—they're they're really the two most important people in SUP, I—I I think, just because that crossover, and um, you know, they're both awesome people, so it—it's it, cool to see them do do well. How much of the future of SUP surfing, of paddle surfing, is going to be predicated on the crossover athletes? 
versus the sport alone? Do you um, think that the sport is legitimized by a Kyle Lenny, by a Jamie Mitchell? I think it helps for sure. Absolutely. Because um, how, how can you deny that? You know, you can't deny that. Kyle Lenny's amazing. Like, you, I don't care who you are, you can't, you can't say he sucks. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's untrue. <laughs> so, um, for sure. And, I mean, what's cool about the day and age, you know, people call Kyle Lenny a sellout or whatever. It, it's, it's, it's only because we live in an age that, you know, we're able to create our own content. So it's so easy to throw some clips on the iMovie and, and throw something up on the web. And, um, you know, those guys helped like a good era for those, for the younger guys to, I mean, they really, you really don't need, even need to get a photo in the magazine. It's just create good content by yourself and you're going to do well. Yep. Well, and that's an interesting point. I won't name a name, but one of the guys that, that I've gotten to surf with a bunch, who's one of the best in the world, was talking about whether or not he was gonna do the tour events this year, because he's like, look, more people are watching the videos I'm dropping than are watching. It's more important for me to drop a video than to, to do a world tour event. Um, and so that's a beautiful thing for our day and age, to have the, the direct access to fans. You don't need the, the third party involved if you have the fan base. Yeah, and it's true. And every you know, every every Grom, if they're smart, has has their nice camera now. They got their GoPro, and and they're throwing little edits out. And I mean, it's free. It's just it's that easy to do it. And so, um, that's what's cool about it. You know, you, you could you could make your own content, create your own image, a lot easier than it than it was back in the day. I am so happy that social media exists for surfers now because until this point, it was largely, but your success, irregardless of your talent, now talent, all you know, the best talent always rises to the top, right? And gets the exposure. But to this point, your success was largely determined by who your sponsor was, did the magazine editors like you, was there some you know, behind the scenes beef you might have with them, because if there was, you weren't going to be a star, meaning you weren't going to get ink. And if you don't get ink, you don't get sponsors. If you don't get sponsors, you don't go on surf trips to make those videos to become a star. Now the surfers and the athletes, kind of across the board, have the opportunity to create their own career. They are in charge of it now. And that is, that is such a great thing, that non-competitive surfers have a means to create a living at surfing, whether it be stand-up, shortboard, whatever it is, longboard. They have the means to create their own living to do what they love, what their passion is. And that's a great thing. You know, there's, there's a lot of downsides. You're talking to a dinosaur in terms of social media. But I love the fact that now guys can take their careers essentially into their own hands and, and carve out their little niche and do what they love to do. Well. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting late. We've got an early morning, so let's wrap this up. Thank you guys very much for being a part of this project, for being down here. It's really already been fun. I'm incredibly excited about where this is going to head and the next few days of surfing. So appreciate it. Thanks for being a part of the show and um Battle Woo! <laughs> <laughs>
It's the Paddle Woo Podcast. <laughs>